Today's reading comes from the book of Hosea, chapter 6, 1 through 3, chapter 7, 8 through 16, and chapter 8, 7 through 14. You can find it on pages 6 and 7 of your um, bulletin. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. Ephraim mixes himself with the peoples. Ephraim is a cake not turned. Strangers devour his strength, and he knows it not. Gray hairs are sprinkled upon him, and he knows it not. The pride of Israel testifies to his face, yet they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all this. Ephraim is like a dove, silly and without sense, calling to Egypt, going to Assyria. As they go, I will spread over them my net. I will bring them down like birds of the heavens. I will discipline them according to the report made to their congregation. Woe to them, for they have strayed from me. Destruction to them, for they have rebelled against me. I would redeem them, but they speak lies against me. They do not cry to me from the heart, but they wail upon their beds. For grain and wine they gash themselves, they rebel against me. Although I trained and strengthened their arms, yet they devise evil against me. They return, but not upward. They are like a treacherous bow. Their princes shall fall by the sword because of the insolence of their tongue. This shall be their derision in the land of Egypt. For they sow the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no heads. It shall yield no flower. If it were to yield, strangers would devour it. Israel is swallowed up. Already they are among the nations as a useless vessel. For they have gone up to Assyria, a wild donkey wandering alone. Ephraim has hired lovers. Though they hire allies among the nations, I will soon gather them up. And the king and princes shall soon writhe because of the tribute. Because Ephraim has multiplied altars for sinning, they have become to him altars for sinning. Were I to write for him my laws by the ten thousands, they would be regarded as a strange thing. As for my sacrificial offerings, they sacrifice meat and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. They shall return to Egypt." For Israel has forgotten his maker and built palaces, and Judah has multiplied fortified cities. So I will send a fire upon his cities, and it shall devour her strongholds. The word of the Lord. Let me pray for us and ask God to teach us his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. And we pray now that as we uh, have heard it read and as we um, listen to your word preached, that you would open our eyes and our ears and that, uh, so that we would be able to hear things and see things. Otherwise, we could not. Would you do this for your glory alone, we pray. Amen. Well, I, I don't know if you and your family or whoever celebrated Halloween uh, yesterday. I don't know. What that's like in your family, so forgive me for what I'm about to say, but uh, we, we, we celebrate or we participate in Halloween, and for one simple reason, and I'm, I'm not trying to kid myself here when I say this, I was going to say because my kids love candy, no, because I love candy, um, 
If, if you're going to create a holiday where I get to walk around and be given free candy, I'm in. But um, what's interesting about Halloween, what always gets me is I try to enter into uh, my kids' lives in that way, is, is that it's just clear, and this is any other day of the week, but Halloween especially, where it comes so clear that for them, you know, life doesn't exist outside of candy. It's basically what, as, as a kid, this is just what, what life is for. You, you've got to get it. And yesterday did not disappoint. And, you know, so much talk leading up to Halloween, what we're going to wear, um, the friends we're going to see perhaps from a distance. <laughs> but we all know what's important here. It's the candy. It's the candy. Um, and so when we looked at last night's haul, which didn't disappoint and was surprisingly more than any we had really brought in before, I'm not sure what happened. I think uh, we noticed we just dumped candy on a table and said, you know, take one or two. That was, yeah, we were that people uh, with a sign, excuse me, not just. Um, so we got home and it was all gone. Um, but sorry, that was a tangent. Um, we were not the people though that bagged up candy, which is what I think you should have probably done, I guess, in a pandemic. And so our kids were just getting these bags and bags, smaller bags of candy. And, and so much so that at one point, one of our kids couldn't even carry the bag anymore. Daddy had to carry it. Big mistake, right? You're going to fall for that. I'm going to take it. Um, but you get home and y'all know this. And the best part of Halloween is always spreading that candy out on the floor, organizing it, proposing trades, right? Showing everybody what you got. And then finally digging in. And, of course, it's, you know, 10, 15, 20 pieces in what seemed to be the source of all that is good and true and right in the world, right, begins to roost and become a problem. <laughs> you begin to become sick, and that happens every year, and we will forget about it tomorrow and hopefully uh, look forward to Halloween being what we always dream it will be uh, next year. But that's one of the reasons why I love Halloween and what the picture that it gives me and my children, it gives me a picture of, of, of what's true in my own heart as well. How we, all of us, right, we're easily deceived and we look for life and things that ultimately bring us what? Harm. Right? We, we hold something up as good and we go for it. We put our lives around it. We, we sort of think this is it, right? And our hearts do this in a million places. But all it does is ultimately bring harm to us. And what scripture will show us this morning is that our hearts are fundamentally sick. And they want to believe that life can be found outside of God himself. But to continue to look for life outside of him, what only brings what? Harm. It only brings destruction. Instead, Jesus comes into this world, as Hosea tells us, like the dawn, as we will see. To bring life from something that is dead, which is our hearts. And so as we look at that this morning, I love uh, looking at the images uh, that prophets present to us. If you go through the prophets, there's always, at some point, there's these, uh, image, there are these images that they present of our own condition, of our own heart. And, and that's what we are going to turn to in Hosea at this point. And so we're going to look at four images of, of what human sin has done to us. And as we've been saying, too, this is, uh, this is messages for Israel, but that's who we are in the story. And so Israel always is a reflection of our own hearts. All right, we're not to look at this and sort of say, man, how foolish these people are. We're to look at it and say, okay, this is me. Now, what does God call me to do um, 
uh, as a result of this, okay? Or what is he going to do because of this? So let's look at these four images. And as we, we turn to these four images, we, we can break them up into pairs. And so there's the unturned cake and the broken bow that we'll look at first, as you see there in verse seven, or chapter seven, verse eight, verses 14 to 16 as well. And these two images are gonna uh, speak to a loss of purpose and mission for Israel. And then second, we'll look at the other two images of an aging man and a dove, and they will speak to the delusion that sin causes in our own life. So let's look at those, those first two that I mentioned there, beginning in chapter 7, verse 8. It says, Ephraim mixes himself with the peoples. Ephraim is a cake not turned. Well, what's a cake not turned? Well, it's something that is burnt on one side and uncooked on the other, so that when you bite into it, none of it is what it should be. It is, as Derek Kigner writes, neither one thing nor the other. So no one sets out to make a pancake, if you will, for example, right? Heats up the griddle, makes the mix, pours it onto the griddle, and then takes it off without flipping it, uh, right? To serve it to somebody who's expecting some type of warm meal, right? That would not be serving its purpose. Similarly, when we look at the broken bow or a weapon, in this case, it doesn't accomplish its purpose of hitting the target because it's broken. In fact, a misfire of a bow or a misfire of a weapon potentially injures the one shooting it, not the enemy it's being pointed at. But verse 16 starts out, they return, but not upward. It's the picture of one starting out towards their said target. And in the spiritual sense, repentance, maybe even as Israel begins to cry out, we want to follow God. We want to return. But in the end, they veer to the left or to the right, missing the target. In this way, both fail to fulfill their purpose. And the reason for this is they're mixing with other peoples, other nations, as you see there in verse eight. To mix with other nations was to, what, mix those worship practices and thus become, what, neither one thing nor the other. If you recall, when Israel was entering the promised land in Joshua, and of course uh, said through Moses in the first five books of the Bible as well, God was very clear to them. That they were not to mix with the neighboring nations. In fact, to make sure of this, they were to, what, drive them out. And Why? Well, it's not because Israel shouldn't be around pagan people. And it's not even a proof text for Christians to avoid mixing with other cultures or races. The reason Israel was to drive out the pagan nations from the land was so that Yahweh worship would not start to mix with pagan worship. That is, in the land, there is to be no mixing of worship practices. This space will be solely devoted to Yahweh. And in this space only, he will be worshipped. And in this way, his mission will be accomplished by, by Israel reflecting that and being a light to the nations, being a kingdom of priests themselves, driving out the nations then was driving out these worship practices, right? And th- that way they would have a space set apart or holy To God himself and much of Israel's purpose, as we recall, is wrapped up in the understanding of what it means for God to be holy and for Israel to be a what holy nation to be his people for God to be holy just as a refresher is for him to be other. Let's just use that word. It's just to be other. It's something that we are not. But also for him to be holy is for him to be pure. And so a holy space, which was that which the land is designated as to to be that in the Old Testament, must then reflect him. 
It must be other, not like the surrounding nations and their practices. And it must be pure, no other worship but him. But for Israel as a people to be holy is for them to be what? Set apart. The people of Israel are not other, right? They're not pure in the way that God is other, in the way that God is pure. They are, however, to reflect God's holiness as his people by being set apart, by being different. And in this way, they will accomplish their purposes of reflecting God's glory to the world, to be a blessing, as Genesis 12, 1 tells us, to the nations. So what's the point to mix with other nations, as Hosea is saying, was to what mix those practices and thus become neither one thing nor the other. Mixing meant no longer pure, no longer set apart and therefore no longer able to accomplish their purpose and mission as God's people, just like a cake unturned and just like a broken bow. They do not accomplish their purpose. Jesus, in the book of Revelation, to give us perhaps some more familiar language with this, will describe this as being lukewarm. Jesus will say, verse 15 of chapter 3 of Revelation, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Hosea is saying that Israel is these things because of their continued faithlessness to him. They are neither one thing now nor the other as his people. Uh, This is the first two images that deal with mission and purpose. Next, let's look at the other two. It's printed in your bulletin there. Dealing with the effects of sin, of what sin essentially does to us. These middle two in verses 9 to 12... Speak more of what, uh, how sin creates uh, and, and deludes us, really. That there is a delusion in us about what is true, about who we really are, and about what we need. So looking at chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, it gives us the picture of what, of what a people unaware of themselves. Here we are invited to a, a picture of what an aging man who still thinks of himself in his prime. He does not recognize or notice, as you see this, the text say twice, the change in himself and thus the dire situation that he is in fact in. He is, as one might say, delusional or knows not what is true. He doesn't know who he really is as others perceive him and more importantly, what he desperately needs. Coupled with that image is the fourth image in verses 11 and 12, where Israel is likened to a dove, silly and without sense, calling to Egypt and back again to Assyria. We talked about this a little last week, but the picture here is of this sort of aimless and even rootless, if you will, people who do not know who they are going back and forth between these other nations, bartering for security, looking for just uh, any type of affirmation and, 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 and help even. Um, and in, the, in response, selling out, allowing their worship practices to come back into the land where they they make agreements with these pagan rulers and other, other places, thus defiling the land, uh, making it sick, and causing God's purposes to no longer be able to go forward through them. In this way, they have no idea how silly they truly look in the process, but ultimately how fruitless their efforts will be. They do not know who they are, and their delusion about what they need will lead to their own destruction. It, it, is, it is similar to going to the doctor and being told that you have stage four cancer. 
And that you need to start treatment immediately. And then saying to the doctor, hey, buddy, I feel great. What are you talking about? I feel fine. I don't need to start any kind of treatment. That's where Israel is. That's where they are. And spiritually, they think they are fine. So when the doctor, Hosea in this case, right, says, you're not fine. You need to start treatment immediately. They laugh or they just ignore it. In the meantime, they go on with life while everyone else can begin to see the effects, right? The slowly but surely effects of their sickness taking place in their own hearts and their own lives. And the consequence of continuing to live without the treatment, as it were, or without acknowledgement of their own condition, this will lead only to their death. For Israel, that treatment, as we have been saying, is a return, It is repentance, a return to the Lord, that their sin has caused such delusion, though, and such a a lack of self-awareness that not much can be done at this point. In fact, verse 12 says that God will spread a net over them to catch them. He says, I will bring them down like birds of the heavens. I will discipline them according to the report made to their congregation. But then he says this, woe to them. I would redeem them. But they speak lies against me. The picture here is the same as Jesus looking over Jerusalem and weeping, crying out in Matthew chapter 23, saying, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Again, I'll remind us, right? This is not the place where we look at Israel and say, how could you? You foolish people. When are you going to pull it together? This is the place where Israel is a reflection of our own hearts. God extends his mercy and his grace to us. But there is a sense here that mercy, friends, without response is self-defeating. Therefore, all that is left to say is how often would I, but you would not. But you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken. These are the four images Hosea uses of Israel. They are images that ultimately depict the effects of sin in them, but also in us as well. They are the consequences of continued unfaithfulness. And as a result, the hopelessness that we have in life apart from God. We have to understand that our sin problem, whether we're talking about Israel or we're bringing it into our laps here in 2020... It's not just a problem where I made a few mistakes one time. Our sin problem is in our bones. It is in our DNA. Sin makes us think that we are fine when we are actually sick. It makes us feel like we are the ones in control of our own lives and that we got this all figured out, but we don't. It makes us think that we have it all figured out when we are headed towards destruction. Sin leads us to blame God. But all we have to blame is ourselves. And that's really part of the delusion that sin causes in our lives. And let's make this more simple because I do this all the time. Right? It is delusional for me to think that just a little more money in my life will solve my problems. Or make them go away. Or perhaps even bring me a little more happiness. Now, I would love to see it try. Don't get me wrong. 
but it's delusional and that one, it never works. And we know that because our hearts never get enough. And you could fill that with anything. But two, it doesn't work because the money has no power to bring life to us in the way that we truly need it. Our happiness problem is not a money problem. It is a heart problem. But it doesn't, though, this is my point, stop us from thinking, right, more is better. It's delusional to think that if I just work a few more pounds off of this waistline and say on this diet, I will be happy with myself. No, I won't, because it'll just be the next thing. It'll just be a few more here or something else. I won't because that is not enough. It is never enough in the same way that it is delusional to think that just a little more candy, right, will be enough. And I love this picture. I shared this in the 830 service. I mean, I had a child that was just so tired from walking around, dragging the bag that they needed to be put on my shoulders, but they weren't done. It was, we've got to keep going. Take me to the next house. More, more, more. That's us. That's us. That's me. What our sinful nature really does though, that is so destructive is it tells us, and this is the point, that life can be found outside of Jesus. That it can be found outside of him in something else. It could be money, diets, marriage, relationships. These are the things that we, that we point to, that we go to, that will make me whole, that will make me complete. Sin simply isn't the act of doing something bad that I sinned once or twice before in my life. And that there's a beginning and that there is an end. Rather, it is who we are. Sin affects the way we think. It affects what we think. It affects how we think. And in that way, it sows delusion and it reaps destruction. And this is what leads Hosea in chapter 8 to tell Israel, you have sown the wind, my friend, and you will reap the, the whirlwind. What is he saying there? He's saying you have sown what is ultimately fruitless in the wind, is the picture But its return will not be pound for pound, right? Its return will actually be tenfold to the negative. When I live for only Ryan, right? When I sow or make decisions and and plan my life around the things that my heart wants without any discernment through prayer, without any discernment through uh, a scripture or God's word or the wisdom available to me through God's people or even in the process of repentance, Right, That sowing, as it were, always reaps a mess. It reaps a whirlwind. Every time. And it starts, and this is, this, is, this is the part that always gets me. It starts with the smallest of seeds. And the delusion that our hearts tells us is, oh, that little bit here or there, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. And, and, and we know this in our lives as we've either been affected by it or have been, you know, products of it, whatever, adultery, pornography, alcoholism, greed, and the ways that these flow in and out of our lives in various ways and forms, right? All of those things start out as small, but their destruction is what? It's a whirlwind. It doesn't just affect you. It is not just pound for pound, as Hosea is saying. You sow, you, you and, and me, and sowing those things will reap destruction that will, that will have ripples that will go way beyond you. And the delusion, though, tells us, oh, that, 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 that just doesn't matter. 
I'm okay here. This is just, this is just, this is a little something not even worth paying attention to. What our sinful nature really does is it tells us in this delusion that life can be found here. That life can, in fact, be found outside of Jesus, outside of his presence. And whatever that is, right, and it can be a good thing, as we say, right, our hearts will keep going to it over and over and over again. And the sobering message, the sobering point of this book for us at this, at this point is we watch what is going to happen to Israel. Is that there seems to be this time in God's sovereignty where his people are able to hear his word. They are able to hear that word and repent and return to him. But there also seems to be a period of time where they are no longer able to hear that word. And that should cause us some serious reflection this morning. That there is a place, that there is a time in our lives where we stop hearing his word, where we are cemented in our own convictions and our own practices like Israel here, where we are convinced that life or the decisions that I am making for myself will yield the results that my heart longs for. Where we become comfortable with the delusion, as it were, until after a while, it is all that we want. And that's what these four images are ultimately saying. They are saying, Israel, you are like this. You are lost. Your purpose and mission are ruined. You sow the wind and you reap destruction. And that's because your heart is dead. And you think life can be found on your own terms. Well, Is this it? Seems pretty hopeless. It it is hopeless. Very much. Life outside of God, outside of Christ, is absolutely hopeless. That's Hosea's message to the southern kingdom for sure at this point. But it's absolutely his message to us this morning. Those who benefit from seeing God's response to Israel's sin and Jesus to, to fulfill that mission and purpose, as we'll see here. But it is hopeless. Can we enter into that this morning? Is that sobering for us? Because if it is, we can begin to move towards the hope that God offers. Because as we say, is this it? No, that's not it. There is another way. There is another way. We have to let God do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And what's that? That's bring life from something that's dead. To fix the problem. In other words, he has to bring us to himself where all life is found. And this gets to our final two images here that we look at in chapter 6. But we've seen the four images of what human sin creates in Israel. And thus all of us. Now let's look at these two images of restoration and redemption. Chapter 6 is going to function as sort of this uh, fulcrum that no matter wherever we go in Hosea, no matter how bad it gets, we're always going to come back here to chapter 6 verses 1 to 3. All right? Uh, Really verses 1 to to 6. This is our hope right here. All right? And so when we look at these images, what we see is God calls Israel to return. And we touched on some of this last week, of course, uh, in our confession and how it should point to Jesus. But in this returning, what we also see is how God is going to bring life from something that is dead. And he's going to do it through his son, Jesus. 
In verse 3 there, chapter 6, Israel is promised that in their repentance and their seeking God, that this will what? Yield his presence. And this should be extremely encouraging to us this morning. That is, God will come to them as surely as what? What's the image? The dawn. That picture is not just one of knowing that your faithful spouse, to continue with the metaphor, is waiting for us when we get home to tell us how bad we've been or to, to, you know, to see if we're going to you know, shape up. But actually that there is a, quote, bursting of life that floods the scene, such as the dawn after the dusk, awaiting you when you return. God will be there. He is not hiding from you. He is not ignoring you. His presence is there with you. That's the first image. That's the first promise. But second, God will be to us like the spring rains that water the earth. Right? So God doesn't just sort of appear to us, right, as we turn to him. But what does he do? He brings life. Israel has already been called dry ground back in chapter 4 where we read that the land mourns. And why does the land mourn? Uh, It's because it's dead. The ground is parched. It is cracked. There is no life in it. So God will have to what? Redeem it. He will have to bring it back to life. And the way he's going to accomplish this is through Jesus. How? Jesus, the faithful one, as we read in Revelation as well, but as we see in the scriptures, will fulfill the mission and purpose of Israel that they fail to fulfill by dying for our sin, by living a perfect life, as we say, and as we read about in the Gospels, without sin, but then offering himself up to accomplish those purposes. He will lead his people to victory. He will come to us. But he will give us, in the process, new life like spring rains and how through his blood. He will be the Lamb of God, as John the Baptist says, who has come to take away the sins of the world. He will fix our dead heart problem by dying for our sins so that we what might be made new. That we might be given life in and through him, only him, where life is found. It's the fulfillment of these images. It's the picture, though, that Luke gives us, just to move it to a different illustration, in chapter 15 of the prodigal son, if you're familiar with that parable. Right? When, the, when the prodigal son returns, right? the wayward son returns, what do, what do we see the father doing? What does he do? He runs after him. Right? There's a, this bursting of life, as we read here in Hosea, pictured in this parable. He runs after him, and there's a bursting of life that floods the scene. But the father doesn't just stop there, does he? He doesn't just appear to the son. He immediately what reinstates him. He throws the robe around him and calls for celebration. In other words, <clears throat> he restores him and celebrates because this, my son, as he said, was dead, and now he's alive. That's resurrection language, friends. That is new life language. That is new heart language. And it is found only in Jesus where he had to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Certainly what Israel could not do for themselves. This is why Jesus, when he comes to us in the book of John, and it's one of my favorite verses, John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And why? Because there is no life outside of him. 
There is no life outside of Christ. Everything else that we put our hands to and our hearts to is a broken bow, but him. He is the one who goes forward, right? He is the one who accomplishes the purposes of redemption that God has set out for him to accomplish on our behalf. All the other things that we go to, right? All the other things that our hearts go to, right? They will not get us to God. They will not hit the target as it were. They will not satisfy the things that we want. Only he can, which is why he is the way. Everything else reaps a whirlwind, but not truth. What does truth do? It sets us free. And what is that truth? It's Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. And lastly, nothing has the ability to bring forth life from what is dead, but the one who conquered death by rising on the third day. Hosea talks about it. I'm positive they don't know exactly what that's supposed to look like. Although the number three is the number for completion. So in some way, God will complete his people. And how does he do it? He does it in resurrection. In new life. Only found in Jesus Christ. That we might truly, as the text says, be with him forever. This is how God is going to bring life from something that is dead. And he is going to do it through his son, Jesus. And it's why there is no life found outside of Christ. So I'll leave us just with this question as we round out our time this morning. What are you looking to in this world to find what only Jesus offers? What are you looking to in this world to find what only Jesus offers? And this is a wonderful place to sort of put a a, a title over this sermon as a wonderful um, evangelistic sermon to send to your non-Christians. But that is not who Hosea is for. And that's not who this sermon is for this morning. This sermon is for you, the church, for those who profess faith in Christ. Stop thinking about your non-Christian friends for just a second and think about yourself. As Hosea is calling his people, he is calling us as well through God's word. What are you looking to in this world to find what only Jesus can give you? To find what only Jesus offers? Because just like Israel, it is true today as we await the return of Jesus... That there is a time and a place where his word is able to be heard. But there's also a time and place where we can no longer hear his word. And that should cause us to pause, as I said earlier. To reflect on this. To ask the Lord. Look, when we we have our confession of sin and we have our, our, our private confession. Like, I'm with you. Sometimes I find myself just twiddling my thumbs here. And what I, would, what I would urge you to do if you find yourself in Christ this morning and you can't think of anything right now that you are looking for life in outside of Jesus to pray and to ask him to open your eyes and your ears to reveal that. That you might return to him. That you might go to him for what is true, what is life. So that we might find ourselves cemented in our own ways and practices feeding on the delusion that our own sin gives us. So what are you looking for in this world to find what only Jesus offers? Is it in a bag of, is it a bag of candy, right? Is it something as simple as that? Or is it what's going to happen on Tuesday in an election and everything in between? There's something that our hearts are set on and we think it'll give us life. And this text is here this morning to remind you that there is no life 
found in silly things like candy that we can, we can honestly say, yeah, there's also no life found in anything else other than Jesus. What does that look like to return to him in that way, to go to him in the ways that he promises to appear to us right? and, to, and, and to bring the spring rains, as it were, to create new life in us? Because here's the, here's the challenge for the church. Wherever we are looking for life outside of Christ, that is where we are neither one thing nor the other. That is where our mission to, to reflect Jesus, to, to reflect Jesus to the world, the only place where life can be found is neither one thing nor the other. So as we ask ourselves, where are we looking in this world to find what only Jesus offers? My prayer for us is that can we hear God calling us this morning to find life only in him? What would that look like? To return to him in a sense that we would find him there, as sure as the dawn, right? Reigning his grace, his truth upon us, that we may become alive in him, only in him. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, as we think about your word to us in Hosea, we pray that you would have mercy on us. And that you would have mercy on us through Jesus. Lord, to reveal the things in our lives that might be keeping us from you. To reveal the things in our lives that we are looking to to find life outside of you. Not just because returning to you brings us a level of happiness that we are looking for in these other things. But that returning to you is what you have made us for. That that returns the ultimate purpose and mission in our own lives. That is to be sons and daughters of you. To be returned to you. To belong to you forever. Would you be kind enough to break into our lives this morning. And as we head out into the week... (laughs) knowing and seeing the places where this is true in our lives and having the ability through your spirit only to return to you the place where only life is found. We ask this for your glory alone. Amen.